The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray. Hey, Pat. Uh, Jeffy in Dallas, Texas. You're on the program. Hey, Pat. A long-time listener. Uh, First-time caller. Right. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I'd like to request a no Barack Obama. Uh, We've done so well during the entire program. Mm -hmm. It's been been nice uh, not hearing his voice last year. Hey, I know I'm on the phone, but uh, I, I I thought I was talking to Pat, not Keith. Uh, hey, uh, I was <laughs> Pat Gray weekdays from noon to three Eastern only on the blaze radio network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the blaze radio network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. I hope you all had a blessed, wonderful Christmas weekend. And I know we're coming up on a New Year's Eve, New Year's weekend, and 2018. Thank you for tuning in this year to Reform This with Zudi Jasser. And uh, another year has passed. And uh, thanks to you. Thanks to all of you who joined me week to week. Hope you uh, get your dose of rationality, your dose of, yep, that uh, unfortunate rarity, which I think is more common than you think, but unfortunately silent in the background are most Muslims who I believe believe in America first, believe in this country as being the best experiment for freedom, for liberty. And reject Islamism, reject political Islam. And on this program, I find for you week to week the issues that challenge the authority of the Islamic establishment, that challenge those who claim to lead America and, in fact, can bring us to face those issues that will allow us to begin, begin to understand what the solutions are. And I hope as we enter almost our 86th program, we're on our 85th now, that these episodes are are part of what you use to become more facile in communication on the issues related to radical Islam, radicalization, and the concepts of how we keep our country safe, the ideas of what it means to, to confront the greatest ideas that threaten us. We're not threatened by a tactic. We're not threatened by a, a uh, violence or extremism, as they call it. We're threatened by a political, theopolitical ideology that needs to be confronted by Muslims, that needs platforms created by the West and laboratories of freedom, because in the Middle East, in dictatorships, it will not be confronted until they have revolutions. I hope that's just part of what you've learned here And week to week, I join you in bringing forth those things that may not make the front page, that may not make the top of the fold, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, I think ultimately they're going to be important in setting up a strategy, a strategy for America to defend itself against radical Islam. Before we get into sort of the year in review, which I think is just will be fascinating to go through over the last 12 months, I want to talk about a couple things. First of all, I was seeing a lot of traffic among the fundamentalists or what I call Salafists, those who want to take time back to the 7th century and don't want to modernize, don't want to live in the 21st century, seeing things, uh, speakers out of Kuwait, out of the Middle East, 
that were trying to somehow rationalize the mechanism by which they will not wish Christians a Merry Christmas. Rationalize a mechanism by which they will justify not celebrating or allowing Christians to publicly celebrate Christmas. Now that's in Muslim-majority countries, but obviously this translates to what American Muslims, what Western Muslims often can internalize as being their sense of being foreigners, consciously being separatists while living in the West. And and let me break it down for you. You'll find, and you can find these on Arabic media out of Kuwait, out of Saudi Arabia or elsewhere, they'll say that, well, it's dishonest. Islam came to supposedly correct some of the ideas, the theological ideas in Christianity, and that if you participate in what we call cultural mores of religious Christianity uh, that is part of the society, then somehow you are giving tacit acceptance of the Christian theology. Never mind that we believe in the same God, never mind all the similarities, that somehow it becomes imitation. And sure enough, we circle back to the one of the primary uh, hallmarks of how the Wahhabis distinguish their fear, their enmity of reformists. They reject invention. They reject what they call bid'ah, B-I-D-A-A, bid'ah, which in Arabic means invention, an innovation into the religion, especially is what they're talking about, that they feel did not exist previously. So... The Wahhabi's rejection of all of Christianities, they feel that the original Christianity in the Quran, that was the God of Abraham's religion, just like Judaism was, and I believe is today, still the religion of the God of Abraham. The Wahhabis believe it's not. The Wahhabis believe it has left and become polytheistic because of the Trinity, etc., and therefore the religion described in the Quran as Christianity doesn't exist anymore. Well, that falls apart on this uh, at, at the start because the Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad in 610 to 633 CE, which already was in the 7th century post-Jesus. And therefore Christianity had already had in its ideas the Trinity, original sin, all those concepts that ultimately Islam rejected back to the monotheism of Judaism. That doesn't mean that Christianity is not monotheistic. It just means that Islam had a different interpretation of these things. And in fact, we believe we'd be Christians had it not been for those interpretations that needed to be modified. Now, what does this have to do with Christmas? I think this is very relevant because so many, so many folks now have been relishing and we uh, are talking about how many people today say Merry Christmas that didn't even just during the last administration. And that's more of a political discussion here in the United States. But theologically, we Muslims are centuries behind. The leading Islamic establishment rejects even pretending. For, forget pretending, that's lying. <laughs> rejects participating in even a cultural acceptance of the respect for another religion. And the debate happening across the planet is how much respect is respect. Some of the rationalists who try to, uh, uh, not rational, some of those who try to rationalize a 
intolerance towards Christianity would say that it is more honest and more loving of your Christian brothers and sisters to not participate and show them what you really feel rather than to participate in a fake fashion. And if you're going to put it that way, then sure, nobody expects you to lie, I guess, unless you're participating in taqiyya, which is pretending to be something in order to uh, reap false acceptances. But if you reform those ideas, if you interpret Islam as the faith in which you can marry Christians and Jews that can be the mother of your children and they are not forced to convert, as the Quran says they shouldn't, they still can be the mother of your children as a Jew or as a Christian. Let's look at it as a Christian. If a Christian can be the mother of your children and the Quran says she doesn't need to convert in that house, your wife, the mother of your kids cannot celebrate Christmas, cannot worship. This is not about the children worshiping. That's a whole other conversation. And yes, my personal belief as a conservative is that I would hope and pray that those children be Muslim, but that's a whole other issue. That's a discussion for the husband and wife to have. Between them and nobody else's decisions. Now, a reformist would say that you should deeply empathize with the celebration and not only respect a celebration, not to celebrate it in your own home, it's not our holiday as a Muslim, but to respect the equality of Christmas with Ramadan, the equality of Christmas with Eid al-Adha, the holiday of the sacrifice, the most significant holiday in Islam, or Eid al-Fitr, the holiday at the end of Ramadan. Do you respect it and celebrate it as part of the community as you would want Christians to celebrate our holiday if it was a Muslim-majority country or even as your neighbors in your neighborhood? So this is the question. And so many of those across the Middle East now and across the world are beginning to feel the pressure of this social media and others who are beginning to test the waters of what it truly means to respect the Christian holiday of Christmas. And I can tell you, for all of you non-Muslims out there, you can judge who the anti-Islamists are, who your allies are by those who truly wish you a Merry Christmas, who truly believe it. They obviously are, if they're Muslim, they don't worship Jesus as God, or as Son of God, or as Savior, but they... They believe in him as a prophet. They believe that you have a right to believe in your faith and that you believe in the same God of Abraham. And they respect the history. They respect the traditions. And they respect the origins of our own faith and the so many prophets and miracles that are part of our faith, the chapter in the Quran on Mary, etc. If you truly respect and love your Christian brothers and sisters, moderate Muslims would not look upon a recognition of Christmas, a singing of the carols, let your children sing them in the elementary or, or junior high schools or high schools. The Islamists, the Wahhabis, will reject allowing their kids to sing those carols, to participate in the choirs and all their celebrations in their public schools, in their communities. That is absurd. And the Wahhabis want to control, the Salafis want to control the identity of the kids, of the culture, of the family, by telling them who and what they can celebrate and separating them out 
as supremacists, not as equal believers with equal access to heaven. And that's what this is all about. It's not just about celebrating Christmas. It's about weakness. It's about inferiority. It's about a belief by Islamists that if they allow their kids and their families to believe that Christians have equal access to heaven, Possible. It's obviously, we say, Allahu Alam, which means only God knows, but the bottom line is, is that part of our Muslim reform movement is to acknowledge that Jews, Christians, those who believe in God, have equal access to heaven. It's not ours to judge. While the Wahhabis believe that only their type, not only Muslims, only their type of Muslims who reject all of their so-called inventions, that they believe are inventions, are the only ones going to their heaven and as their suicide bombers and their ISIS and Al-Qaeda advocates will find out, I believe, they went elsewhere, obviously. So in this holiday, part of the reform, I think, is the genuineness, the, the reality of those who believe and celebrate your Christmas, your holiday. So God bless you all. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas with your families. And having grown up in a small town in Wisconsin, I knew what it was to only have a few Muslim families celebrate the holidays that our neighbors celebrated. And I can tell you that when I saw my Christian brothers and sisters celebrate their holiday, I knew that when my holidays came as a Muslim, I would feel comfortable in celebrating those. And they would respect mine. It's mutual equality under God in this country, the United States of America. We'll be right back on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're going to be getting soon to sort of the year in review. What happened this year? Last episode before the end of the year 2017. So much happened so quick. The first year of the Trump presidency. Have we made any progress in religious reform? Has the Muslim reform movement gained in its platforms, in its ability to guide the conversation about threat versus ally, about solutions versus problems, about change agents versus fossilization? Before we do that, though, I have to, I mean, I have to take a moment to share with you. You know, we think Justin Trudeau has his moments in which he just says things that are flat out stupid. But this week he said something that I think is a metaphor for not only the idiocy of some of the positions of the left, but actually a metaphor 
for how suicidal, as Douglas Murray talks about the death of the West and others, how suicidal the left especially's position and any apologists are about Islamism and its insidious cancerous ideology is. Let's look at what he said this week. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said in a recent interview, this is with CTV, Canadian Television, that the Islamic State fighters who return home to Canada can be rehabilitated and serve as, quote, an extraordinarily powerful voice for preventing radicalization in future generations, unquote. I I kid you not, I'm going to have to repeat this for you. An extraordinarily powerful voice for preventing radicalization in future generations. Yep, that's what Justin Trudeau said. So I read that thinking that that, that, that might be the marching orders that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, would tell the ISIS agents that are trying to percolate through the millions of refugees that were trying to go into Turkey and Europe, etc., that have infiltrated and been infiltrated by ISIS operatives. He would say, tell them that you're going to bring back, tell them that you're going to counter-radicalization, that you are against it. And then go into your homes at night, wear a belt, and blow up an Ariana Grande concert. Or go into a gay bar and blow up an Orlando bar. On and on. But no, this is Prime Minister Trudeau that said, powerful voice for preventing radicalization. He goes on to say, as he sat with Lisa Laflamme in a wide-ranging interview, looking back at 2017, as he was asked about the fall of ISIS and the caliphate in Iraq and Syria, he said, there's a range of experiences when people come home, Trudeau said. We know that actually someone who has engaged and turned away from the hateful ideology can be an extraordinarily powerful voice for preventing radicalization in future generations and younger people within the community. That's what he said. Has this been studied, Prime Minister? The people coming back often come back because their mission's done. You think they've, they, they've detested what they saw? Assad didn't become some hero to them. He's a fascist Iranian operative fascist <laughs> that that is the equal and opposite reaction that ISIS is to. ISIS is a much gl- more global problem because they're jihadis, but to think that somehow ISIS fighters from Britain, from Sweden, from Belgium, from Canada or the U.S. go back becoming reformed Jeffersonian Democrats is the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard, and it's a metaphor for the problem with our current policies. Why? Because he doesn't even demonstrate an understanding that even the Americans and the Canadians that came to the West for economic freedom, for supposed political freedom, but often did not have that political freedom because they saw it the West as the enemy. They saw the West as hedonistic, as secular, as anti-Islam from their propaganda. So 
most of the time, those who are getting radicalized are getting radicalized in the West and had nothing to do with going over into the depth of the bowels of the biggest radicalizers on the planet, which is the leadership of ISIS. We worry about contacts on the Internet, which already has been proven, as Quilliam Foundation showed. They're not radical. Most of these radicals aren't radicalized on the Internet. They're radicalized in their local neighborhoods, and then they go to the Internet just to find some of the ideas that have already turned them on, and that's where they get operationalized, not radicalized. So to think that when they go to the bowels of ISIS, they're going to come back all nice and clean and westernized? There's still going to be these jihadists. He's completely drunk. Prime Minister Trudeau has no idea. It's almost as if it's suicidal. He wants to tap into folks that are actually sworn enemy, had taken allegiance with a military, with a caliphate that is sworn to be our enemies of the West, of secular democracies. He made a settlement with Omar Khadr. His government settled and gave this terrorist who was responsible for the death of an American and injury of others in a bombing. And he said, I am frustrated. This is what Trudeau said. I am frustrated and outraged about having had to make that settlement. People should remain frustrated and outraged because then perhaps future governments will never again think it would have to be easier to allow someone's rights to be violated because they are politically unpopular. Canadians, your prime minister is speaking the language of radical Islamists. Need I say any more about, when you say we're the voices of moderate Islam, where the heck do we have a chance when the prime minister of one of the leading allies of the United States is basically articulating the talking points of Qatar, of the Brotherhood, of the Islamists? So please, yes, we're working on reform. I'm calling for more more direct and poignant engagement of Muslims who have certainly, certainly been asleep. But please spare me. Spare me the, the, the hand-wringing about the fact that the West has been so engaged appropriately. The left, led by Justin Trudeau, led by Barack Obama and others, has completely sold out the ideology of Western freedom and liberty. And look to the West as the problem and the cause, when in fact, ISIS's ideology is a natural outgrowth of Wahhabi Islam that looks at every other religion, every other interpretation of Islam as being inferior, as being inferior to their supremacist, dominant, jihadi pathway to their own hell, but they describe it as heaven. Trudeau ends the interview and says, the thing that reassures me fundamentally is he got elected. This is when he's talking about Trump. He got elected on a commitment to help people to make America great again. And he said the way to help those people is to bring trade deals and jobs and economic growth that is going to help. So, again, Trudeau's answer about radical Islamists is an economic one. 
I'm sorry. The, the data has shown in Britain and elsewhere, these guys are on the government dole, and they're getting much better paid than they were on their own, and they still are radicalized separatists. It's not about economics. It's about ideology. It's about supremacism. It's about theocracy. When we come back, we'll look at the year 2017 in review. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to Reform This. Now, the point, the part I hope you've all been waiting for, sort of a review of the year. Where did we come? Where have, what have we gone through this year? Are we any better off? And, and I'm not asking economically. I'm asking security-wise. Security-wise, when we look at 2017. First of all, statistically, let's look at some overall things before I sort of go through chrono- chronologically through the year. There have been 96% more losses for ISIS in the last six months than during the entire Obama administration, especially, obviously, since ISIS got on the map in 2000, late 2012, 2013. So you just look at simply the number of ISIS fighters decimated, the amount of area has decreased by 95% that they control. ISIS is on the run. They're almost completely non-existent in Iraq as far as control of any land and in Syria they're on the run they no longer control Raqqa and by the way we did this while Russia and Syria Syrian regime continued to control the rest of Syria so and they are no allies and they were not helping us to think that they were also against ISIS they may say they were but they 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 didn't do any of the work that was done by the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, unleashed General Mattis, Secretary Mattis, to do through the DOD's military. And that is the truth. Even the left, the Washington Post, the New York Times, is acknowledging that the Department of Defense of 2017 was able to do what the Department of Defense refused to do in 14, 15, and 16, and it could have. But because of the Iran deal, because of everything done at the altar of the Iran deal, it did not even try. That's the most significant accomplishment for 2017. Where does that leave us? You and I will talk about that next week, sort of as we look in the outlook for 2018. I sort of want to do a review right now. But uh, I think it leaves us at least in a better place. They are losers. Their brand is going to be harder to sell. But, again, the brand of jihad is winning. The brand of jihad has committed many acts of terror, probably the most of any year since 9-11 in the last year. So we're going to continue to see the increase of terror threats, of militant Islamism, as we continue to push them and whack the mole over and over, from city to city in Syria and Iraq and across the planet, then unfortunately some of those moles are going to pop up in western cities as we saw them 
in Manchester, Berlin, and in the United States and elsewhere. Let's look at the year. We saw at the beginning of the year, who can forget in January, the Clockboy case as being dismissed, a loser, this 14-year-old who became the poster boy for the Islamist movement from Qatar to Sudan to America. The Islamist group pushed him, as did the head of Google and every other lefty in America that said that uh, uh, Muslims are being abused. He became the poster boy, and ultimately his suit against the school that was concerned about what they saw, whether it obviously he claimed it was a clock. Bottom line is, is that reasonable suspicion was met and there was no case. His entire family had moved to Qatar. They claimed because of the discrimination they had. And you know, listen, at the end of the day, I talked to Muslims across the country, asked them, do you feel discriminated against in the United States? The vast, vast majority of some of them say not one bit. Sure, there's acts of bigotry that happen. Sure, there are acts of xenophobia. This has been something we've been dealing with as a country for some time. But to say that Muslims are any more discriminated against than Jews who still have significantly more acts of anti-Semitism done against synagogues, against the Jewish community, then acts against Muslims. And then acts of hate against the black community, against other minorities, obviously exists and has been part of the American conversation for some time. But to say that Muslims are specifically more oppressed than anybody else and the clock boy should be a poster boy for whatever it may be, it was nice to see that case dismissed. We saw the radicalization of Turkey with Erdogan's government proving its Islamist stripes and ultimately beginning to show that the coup, the coup which was attempted in 2016, was really an amateur run, was, you know, they tried to blame it on the Gulen, Gulenist movement, and really the, the jury's still out about who is actually behind that. But at the end of the day, thousands, tens of thousands of writers, journalists, professors have been imprisoned in an ongoing suffocation of any rem- semblance of democracy that remains in Turkey. Because as Erdogan has said, Turkey is democracy is a train. You use it to go where you want to go. And when you get where you want to get to, you get off the train. Unquote. We saw a recalibration this year of the Sunni American, Sunni Arab American axis of cooperation of allies which shifted the Middle East back away from the Iran affilia, the affilia for the Khomeinist movement, the Assadists and others who President Obama at the altar of the nuclear deal abandoned almost every relationship we have with Saudi Arabia, with 
Gulf states and others because the so-called Iran deal was everything that he wanted to stake his legacy on. We saw at the end of the year this year a fantastic report from Politico that showed that not only were there pallets of hundreds of billions of dollars of cash going to Iran, not only did we abandon our Saudi and, and, and other 20th century allies of the Arab world, but the Justice Department and Treasury Department demanded that the DEA abandon years of work exposing the connection between money running from narco narcotics in Latin America being sold globally to Hezbollah. The narcotics were being sold and the money was being funneled to Hezbollah for terrorism, for operations in the Middle East against Israel, against our interests, and for Iran. And the political story of 13,000 words basically exposed that the Bush that the I'm sorry the Obama administration did everything it could to make sure that that connection was never exposed by the United States and hats off to Politico for exposing this story and already we're seeing now in the past few weeks the Obama bots on Twitter and elsewhere have been making the political reporter pay a price as tablet magazine showed this week for turning on his fellow lefties, as Politico is no bastion of conservative reporting, and turning on the Obama legacy, which now has been shown that really sacrificed the rule of law in global interdiction that the United States has been dedicated to with the lives and the blood of DEA agents who wanted to keep, want to keep us safe, again at the altar of appeasement of Tehran. We saw President Trump visit Saudi Arabia, begin his visit to the Middle East, and really what was a successful recalibration of stability across the Middle East. But we saw that ultimately the, the balance was remade. Now, I expressed earlier in the year my disappointment with the lack of uh, uh, transparency about the role the Saudis play in radicalizing the West and radicalizing American Muslims, Canadian Muslims, British Muslims, and others, and spreading their Wahhabi doctrine, and that starting a counterterrorism center, as we saw that iconic picture from 2017 of President Trump, King Salman, and other leaders with their hands on the globe in this Star Trek-type center of half a billion dollars opened in Riyadh, which I liken to a drug interdiction center opened in the middle of Colombia. But, again, we we started the Trump presidency having finished eight years of an Obama presidency that abandoned previous alliances and as the central linchpin of our foreign policy at the beginning of the Trump administration was getting rid of ISIS, we needed to harness those allies in order to do that. So I could understand some of that, but I could not understand why jihadism and Islamism was not a stronger centerpiece of our counter-jihad, counter-Islamist, counter-terrorism program, which obviously is a program against the symptom. So that was significant. We saw Ted Cruz and others release a attempt 
to want to pass legislation that the Muslim Brotherhood be a terror organization, be labeled a terror organization. The White House had floated the idea. It has not been passed. It has not been signed as an executive order. I think, obviously, the Egyptian Brotherhood is a terrorist organization. Now, to say globally that the permutations of all of these hundreds of different organizations are all terror groups, I think, belies some of the metamorphoses that these organizations go through and will change what it means to be designated as a terror organization. So terror organization is obviously, I believe, defined as a group that openly advocates acts of violence against innocents and using terror as a means. There are some progeny of Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood organizations in the West that may never articulate that directly. Are they sympathetic? They may be. We can defeat them with good ideas. It becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to defeat them by shutting them down, as you see in every Middle Eastern country that pushes them into prison, that pushes them underground, that tortures them. They become the victim. This conversation grew quite a bit in 2017. We had big conversations about radicalization, about cultural integration, about anti-extremism programs. Canada had in the beginning of the year, in the spring, the passage of a intent to study what was called M103, the Islamophobia legislation that wanted to penalize and indoctrinate a social awareness of what Islamophobia was. As I testified before the Canadian Senate in September, I told them, as I was then interrupted by one of the uh, co-supporters of that, uh, this uh, legislation supposedly now is not just about anti-Muslim bigotry or what they call Islamophobia, the term I reject, but they said it's all about anti-Semitism, etc., etc. That's not true. This came out of a written petition signed by 70,000 folks that was all about preventing Islamophobia. And I see it as the indoctrination of a anti-blasphemy law type provision in Western law. And hopefully their study period, which will be almost 300 days, will demonstrate that this is not necessary. And that's what I testified to the Canadian Senate about. When we come back, we'll finish our 2017 year in review. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. No, no, but I would have my ears lasered. Because the hair growing in. Yes, I mean, what the hell is that about? It falls Chris Cruz uh, has had waxing and lasering and all of this. I don't think that, that shocks you guys. No. And by has, I, I mean had, is has <laughs> and he has on a regular basis. Tomorrow. <laughs> I have Chris had, Cruz has designs. <laughs> I have had <laughs> laser hair removal on the back of my and neck. He's got the Puerto Rican flag shape. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Zudi 
Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're finishing that year in review. What happened this year? What are some of the top stories that you and I talked about that were part of the sort of the the approach to Islamic reform, to anti-Islamist reform? I think the needle began to move. In February, we talked about John Locke. Can John Locke save political Islam? was the story in the national interest. And I think people began to have a bigger conversation about, you know, they always talk about the Martin, who's the Martin Luther that's going to go and reshape the Sharia text, reshape interpretations. Yeah, that's ultimately not Martin Luther, but there's going to be some obvious new medheb, a new, what's a medheb, a new school of thought and a new interpretation of Sharia that'll have to be written, that'll have to be discussed, innovated, to be compatible with secular society that separates mosque and state. But the first step, I believe, before you get to a Martin Luther is a James Madison, a John Locke, a John Thomas Jefferson, those Muslim leaders that can begin to understand that God, that a God-centered society is important, but not an Islam-centered one, which creates more division. So we had that conversation. We began the conversation at CPAC in February, late February last year, talking about the fact that I want the Trump administration to follow through on its desire to have a commission on radical Islam, that it begins to not only fight the ISIS folks, but to stand for Islamic reform, take the side of reformers against the Islamists, and begin to take sides within the House of Islam. Uh, now, almost a year after that, I, I'm not sure that we made any progress there. We can talk forever about why that progress hasn't happened. Is it because of the Russia, Russia, Russia stuff? Is it because of who knows? Bottom line is is little progress has been made in engaging Muslim leadership that are reformers against and exposing the Islamists in the United States. Sadly, we saw the increase in vehicular jihad beginning at the end of March with the four dead near the British Parliament in the Westminster the horrific scene that kept repeating itself this year began earlier this year in March in Britain. And then later we saw in Manchester in May the Ariana Grande concert in which hundreds were injured as bombs went off as the audience exited the arena during the finishing of her concert. Fueled by radicalization propaganda, operationalization propaganda from ISIS that continued to take credit for these. We saw Marvel comics that had been infiltrated by Islamists in which an X-Men comic showed images and symbols rejecting a Christian mayor of an Indonesian town. Indonesia confronted this and yet ended up, ended up contrary to what most of us pundits were talking about, ended up convicting this Christian mayor of blasphemy. A sad point, and I hope it's a tipping point not to towards the, the decrement of the Indonesian society, but towards waking them up to how their society, which is one of the only Muslim-majority countries that has inculcated into its institution a true separation of mosque and state, that now sees its influence from Wahhabi Islam, Salafists, etc., begins to confront the Islamist movements ideologically and not just militarily. We saw in Michigan the arrest of multiple doctors 
for committing, these are American Muslim doctors, for committing acts of female genital mutilation upon girls ages 7 to 9. And while these crimes are unspeakable and horrific, it began the education of America about a case that is the tip of the iceberg, that once we begin, that finally the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Justice Department had begun not only working on cases, but now have solid cases against doctors who will hopefully end up for years upon years in jail, if not the rest of their lives, serving time for mutilating, for destroying the lives of so many women. And yet, some tried to dismiss this as simply the acts of a Dudi Bura Ismaili sect, which is a small minor minority, heterodox sect, and the rest of us tried to educate America that FGM is something that is often endorsed by much of the Islamic establishment, that yes, many more recently have begun to condemn it publicly, but yet it is still practiced. It's certainly not the part of the Islam that I know or any Muslims I know practice or believe in, but yet when you have an imam in Northern Virginia that I think has yet to be fired, but was simply put on probation, Al-Sayyid, Muhammad Al-Sayyid, who said that, well, girls are born hypersexual, so thus they need that done. We began to have this conversation this year. There's so much work to be done. We saw the revocation of a citizenship of an ISIS jihadi, an American ISIS jihadi who was serving in Syria, which I think set a very excellent precedent that these people cannot come back and they are traitors and often, I think, should be convicted of treason if they do come back. That was done in April. We saw the debate through the year about the so-called Muslim ban, which was a travel ban, and initially barred by a number of the far-left courts, and now it appears that the court has allowed it to stand. The discussion never ended up happening in the Supreme Court, and it has allowed it to stand because, oh, imagine this, the commander-in-chief can decide which countries we need to vet more than others, and it has nothing to do with religious discrimination, but rather national security. It's a privilege to come to the United States, not a right. That conversation happened this year significantly. Then we saw in the end of June a van that hit worshippers coming out at midnight out of a mosque and an act of hate by basically some radicalized British citizen that decided he wanted to kill Muslims. And I think it reminded us, it reminded me as a Muslim that the work I do is not only about national security, but it is about educating my fellow Americans and my fellow Westerners that the best solution, the most viable solution to radical Islam are leading Muslim reformers, that the West, once they understand the assets that the American Muslims are, that that is the best Weapon That is the best method to defeat the radicals and to convince 
my fellow citizens, that we are their allies, we are their fellow citizens, and not their enemies. Versus the whining, the victimization, the the agenda of radicalizing Muslims that the Council on American-Islamic Relations does and other Islamist groups do, that ultimately their method of constantly complaining about Islamophobia, etc., is actually a sure way to radicalize our community. And we saw the attack on Finsbury Mosque and the injuries and deaths as a result, a reminder, a stark reminder that there is not often, but occasionally an equal and opposite reaction that happens. We also saw this in Quebec back in 2016, where six Muslims were killed and shot in their mosque as they prayed. But again, on this program, I'm sure if you follow and listen to me frequently, you'll know that I don't believe in exaggerating, in using those cases as a method in which to talk about a false moral equivalency. The primary problem is one of Muslim radicalization coming out of the republics of Pakistan, of Saudi Arabia, of Iran, and elsewhere, and that we should not be whining as the victims, but rather be beginning to address that quarter of the world's population that is the constituency for radical Islam, the potential constituency for radical Islam, and ultimately, right now, the militants may be 5 to 10% of that 1.6 billion, which is a large number. The Islamists may be 30%, but the rest are still a silent majority. We need to make them more vocal. We need to make them real, palpable, and reformers. This year saw the rise of a Islamist operative by the name of Linda Sarsour, who on the backs of the women's movement demonstrated that the left continues to be asleep, as you and I talked about, and continues to use sort of this identity politic to lift up often some of the most radicals in our community as representatives of Muslims. And we saw that she did a panel that really exposed who she really was, where she talked about the Jewish control of the media, and even folks like Jake Tapper ended up saying, I supported you, and I can't believe that you are as anti-Semitic as you are. That was a paraphrase, but bottom line is is that 2017 saw the iconification of folks like Linda Sorsour and the use of identity politics for the left in response to sort of what they feel is a way to respond to the rise of President Trump on the right. I believe, ultimately, the thread to that needle will be conservative Muslim leaders who believe in reform. It doesn't have to be conservative only, but patriotic, nationalistic American Muslims who believe in reform, who reject any Islamic State concept and believe in our Muslim reform movement declaration. Last, we've seen the decimation of ISIS, but also the solidification of the Assad regime. They seem to have basically snuffed out most of the revolution, the revolution has not ended. It will continue. Hats off. Remember, at the beginning of the year, we saw the Assad regime realize what red lines meant as the runway from where chemical attacks happened was blown within hours by the Trump administration with a direct attack upon the Syrian military. But it was only one small attack. But it stood by 
the statement from Ambassador Haley at the UN that any use of chemical weapons will be met with a forceful response from our military as it was. And I think the use of chemical weapons has decreased significantly. I cannot say that it hasn't been used since, but there's much, much less evidence at all that any chemical weapons have been used since that deterrent response from the Trump administration, I think, that was very effective, that put to shame how ineffective and how unbelievable were the words of the Obama administration. But the Assad regime now is taking pictures and selfies with President Putin, the autocrat from Russia, with the Khomeinis, the Suzbullah's uh, army is scattered and littered throughout Syria, as Russia now is pulling back its troops, saying that its operations in Syria are no longer necessary, thanks to American decimation of ISIS, but really as Assad decimated the revolution. So the serious story evolves. The revolution is not going away. It's going to go more underground. And ultimately, 2018, we'll talk next week about what is in the future. What is the outlook for 2018 as Trump laid out his national security strategy this past few weeks? Tillerson has rumors of his departure have been exaggerated. He still remains. The State Department has cut significantly. The Commission on Radical Islam that President Trump said in his campaign he was going to convene has not been convened, and there's so much more to discuss. But all of this would not be possible without your support, without your trust, without your friendship at Reform This. So thank you. Thank you for being part of my life. Thank you for being part of this program. And I'll be back with you again in 2018. I hope you have a blessed new year. Hug your family. Cherish this freedom cherish who we are as we enter another contentious, I'm sure, but blessed year for our health, prosperity, and security of the United States of America. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. See you soon. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.